Welcome to the Down Syndrome Victoria podcast. This is a podcast where we explore the latest topics of interest and bring you interviews with inspiring and knowledgeable members of our community. Hi everyone, my name is Sonia Bonadier and I'm the Family Support Manager here at Down Syndrome Victoria. Welcome to our first recorded session. Today we're going to be talking about positive behaviour support and I have Belinda Webb with me. So welcome Belinda. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Can you just let us know a little bit about your background? Yeah, no worries. Thanks Sonia. So I'm a special ed teacher. I've been working in the field of special education for um, over 15 years now. I particularly work at a special developmental school and currently I am the school's uh, behaviour coach. I'm a learning specialist there. I've taught a range of students from five to 18 years of age, working with them in their classrooms, a range of different disabilities, intellects, as well as, um, you know, physical disabilities, as well as intellectual disabilities, and working positively with those uh, children and young adults. I found a real pull in what I was doing as a teacher is I love working with families and I love being able to connect with what I'm doing in the classroom and equipping families with skills for them to continue on doing those positive um, routines and structures and things at home with their families. So that's pretty much why I started my own business, The Resource Kit, so I could actually go into families' homes and support families with behaviour support. So I do um, some behaviour support within the school. So I'm the behaviour coach at a special developmental school and I support the teachers and staff and, and really setting up positive behaviour um, structures and support. So pretty much most of my answers to the questions that you've asked today will will be from a positive aspect and you know studies have shown and I've seen this in practice for 15 years and it works and um, it, you know I've seen children that are you know, exhibiting challenging behaviours or uh, having, you know, a, a block somewhere. And just when we take that positive approach to their behaviour, it really can really shape what they're doing. So, yeah, so that's just a little bit about me and my experience. And, you know, I just love that every day is a little bit different and um, nothing's ever the same. And I think that's the, the joy of it. I guess positive behaviour support is a term we hear a lot. Um, as parents and um, in the classrooms, you know, across all those kind of fields in parenting any child. Can you... Yeah. Tell us generally what that means. What, when yeah. we say positive behaviour support, what are we actually referring to? So basically positive behaviour support is about developing positive behaviours within children, which is the aim of what we want to do as parents. Um, I'm also a parent myself. I have two young boys. And, you know, so so when we've got children who are learning new things and, and learning, um, you know, to do a particular task, the way that we engage with them and uh, positively reinforce what they're doing that is correct or the correct behavior. So really positive behavior support is supporting the behaviors that they're doing well, the good behaviors and positively reinforcing that in a way of shaping them to continue doing those behaviours. So it has a little bit around teaching positive behaviours as opposed to a negative behaviour. So if a child's exhibiting a negative behaviour, what we're wanting to do is think about what would be more appropriate for them to be doing instead and focusing on the positive. So if a child's seeking attention, but they're doing that by, you know, grabbing another child's hair or running out of the classroom, I really need to know how I can redirect that child to get that attention from me positively. So that might be me modeling a, a way that that child can learn an appropriate skill or um, that can communicate what they need to me and then positively reinforcing them as they do it so um, yeah so that's a big part of it and probably the biggest part of it is not reacting to negative behaviors so when we're seeing behaviors that you know that children are exhibiting it's we're trying to redirect that to something positive so we can reinforce them for the positive that they're doing rather than the negative I'm just wondering if you could um, maybe make a comment because I think you know most parents who are tuning into this or people who are tuning into this will have mm -hmm. children who have down syndrome mm -hmm. so um, given what you've been talking about in terms of positive behavior support and reacting to the negative behavior but reinforcing the positive can you kind of then kind of extend that a little bit further about how that would then be um, implemented or carried out with um, a child who has Down syndrome or mm -hmm. um, a young person who has Down syndrome? Is there any kind of considerations that can relate across the board or generally speaking with yeah. um, kids who have Down syndrome? 
Yeah, I think probably for any child, I mean, if you're taking this approach um, for any child with a disability or any, you know, any child in your household, if you've got other children, you know, it's a definitely approach that is, is across the board and it is an approach that can be used with any child. I think probably some of the key foundations that we need to take into consideration is what our students or our children are processing, so what their capabilities are. And I think probably the one thing that I always come back to when I'm working with families, and particularly if I've got families with, um, you know, students with Down syndrome or um, a range of other disabilities, is understanding, it's really important that you understand what your child is, um, what their intellectual capabilities. So what is your child's ability to process information? And I think it's really important that you understand that, um, you know, particularly if you've got other children, some of the expectations that you have for your child with a disability, who have got a child with Down syndrome, may be slightly different. You know, I work with a lot of families that are, oh, but, you know, my 20-year-old, he listened and I could tell him off and he just knew the rules. But, you know, he's also processing um, things a lot differently. So um, sometimes it, we need to work out the best fit for your child. And that may look differently to what it might look like for siblings. So I get the phrase a lot, oh, but, you know, my older child did it or, oh, but that's not fair because, you know, they get special treatment. Well, it's not that they're getting special treatment. It, it is that sometimes they need a lot more positive reinforcement for them to understand and grasp the concept that what they're doing and is what we want them to be doing. Whereas a, a typically functioning sibling might only need a little bit of positive reinforcement and they get, okay, that's what mum wants me to do or mum and dad want me to do. So, so you know, sometimes it, it means that we need to work a bit harder. Um, it can take a bit longer to put some positive um, structures and routines in place and to really get that. So we might get and it really comes from the point of them not necessarily always understanding what we want. So I think, you know, questioning yourself and understand, you know, really how well do I understand my child and what they are actually processing, particularly if your child has an intellectual disability, knowing that they will be processing things differently. They will not be taking in as much information verbally as, say, for example, a typically functioning peer or sibling. And the understanding of consequences and rules is very different. You know, they're not necessarily understanding if I do that, that it's wrong. But if I react to you, then then all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, did I do the right thing? Because they've given me a reaction, even if it was a negative behaviour. So, and we can talk a little bit about that when yep. there's a couple of the examples come up that I can give you some really specific examples. Yeah. yeah. I've got to start going through the examples now because I think that's, I think positive behaviour support, uh, you know, as a parent and also in my role as family support, it can be lots of theory and you can read it and it yep. makes sense. But it's not until you've got the example of, well, this is happening and this is happening that you can kind of put that into place that things start to make sense and the penny starts to drop or you get some ideas about how do I actually tackle this in real life? So yes. we'll start going through some of those scenarios. And I think probably um, before we start with that one, I think one of the things is try not to overthink it too much. And I think, you know, I get families and I'll put in some strategies and we'll talk through some positive behaviour strategies around, you know, praising your child when they're doing the right thing and um, setting up, you know, letting them know when it's time for something and things like that. And then a behaviour will come up and they're like, oh, but, you know, they we think too hard about it and we're like, oh, I haven't done this. That wasn't in the rule book, you know. So if we're generally thinking about though, I think about it as a whole, you know, even though we'll go through scenarios, think about what that could mean if you're listening to this and, you know, that's obviously not your scenario, but you're thinking, well, that's a little bit like when my child does this, I can then generalise what, what her approach is and I could put that into place so whether it's more positive reinforcement for when they're doing the right thing or you know that kind of thing so thinking but don't be stressed if you don't get it right and you have a full-blown meltdown you know it is part of the child learning as well so you know I think you know being a parent myself and understanding and I even the kids that I work with you know we don't get it right every day we try our hardest to shape and model but there are just days where we all have off days and there's times where your kids are just going to have off days too and you know don't be too stressed don't don't be afraid to just start over fresh the next day if you know you've had a rough day because we all all do that well, it's part of being human it is, it yeah, is. And I yeah. think sometimes we forget that, you know, yeah. our kids are allowed to have rough days too. And, you know, um, that's okay if, 
whatever you need to do to cope on that day, even if it's all the rule books out the window, that's okay. You know, I think that's important for parents to realize that if what you're doing right now is for you guys to cope through today, then that's fine, you know, because that's important too, as a, as a parent, you know, looking after yourself and looking after what's going to work best for you today and just tackle it again the next day or when, you know, have another go at it the next time. So you just keep at it and, um, little by little we've got quite a few questions so i'll make a start so i make sure i've got enough time to get through them all so we have a scenario here of smaller child so around three Uh spilling water from a cup in this situation this child loves water play and seems to enjoy that tipping and seeing the water and playing with the water Um, but the parent here says that she feels that she's not reacting to that situation that she's just quickly wiping it up and moving on but this behavior is still persisting so what do you do then so firstly if if you're loving it and I'm sure you're doing this already is obviously trying to do lots of fun play activities that involve water obviously I'm sure that's happening and it is hard for kids to distinguish sometimes between meal times and that and you know it's a very common activity at that age I know my children both did this probably one of the things to note is even if we're not reacting or saying anything even wiping up can be a reaction you know the child gets some satisfaction out of seeing you wipe up and you know I know a lot of kids that like that wiping it so sometimes it might be best to just leave the water if it's in a on a high chair or a table and redirect them to another activity and then discreetly when they can't see you wiping up the table wipe up the table so they're not getting that feedback if that's what they're asking you know wiping it up so we're not reacting with our voices or what we're saying we might say okay you know lunch is finished or you know, meal time's finished uh, sippy cups finished taking that away putting it in a safe spot you know a finished spot or a tub or something like that and then moving them on but not giving any reaction not cleaning up in front of them um, and that goes for anything you know if kids tip stuff on the floor you know if you've got your dinner a quite common one is tipping uh, um, tipping food off the side of it at the table on the floor when we're finished you know swiping on the floor um and it is sort of that natural we want to teach our kids to clean up and pack up but if we teach them right after they've done that behavior we're actually responding to their behavior Mm. a little so there's plenty of other opportunities in a positive environment where i can teach my child to clean up you know it might be that we do wiping the table but it's on my terms at the end of play like we've you know and it's not because of the fact that they've tipped the water over so you know you might want to if your child does like wiping you might like to get a wet wipe out but try not to associate that with the water tipping so it could just be at the end of a meal time giving them a little wet wipe to wipe down the table if you think they enjoy that so then it's on your terms it's positive you can positively praise them for wiping the table but you're not associating the cleanup and all of that with that it's almost the cleanup becomes a part of the play so i yes. drop it and yeah. then comes or dad yeah. comes and gets wiped and then i do it again and Yeah, I've worked with a child who, you know, and they were getting them to clean up with the brush and pan and whatever was broken on the floor and it was hand over hand. It was almost, the child was almost getting hugged to help wipe up and I was like, Mm. wow, this looks like so much fun. I would want to break something to get mum to hug me, you know, to do one-on-one to wipe that up. So, you know, but there's, it doesn't mean that we don't want to teach our kids to clean up. You can do that just in a different scenario where they haven't caused the mess, if that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. that totally makes sense. Uh, This was a follow-up question from the same mm-hmm. parent about climbing on furniture. You know, I think it's a real common thing. I think too, around that, you know, two, three age where yeah. kids are climbing on furniture, climbing on coffee tables, trying to reach the TV. Safety is a big one here and in terms of appropriate behaviour and, and climbing on stuff. So how do you... So I think, you know, again, so I'll use redirection. Redirection is a term that I use a lot and it's basically what you want to do is try and redirect them to something else that they could be doing instead. So whether it's another activity, if you decide that, hey, let's go outside and have a jump on the trampoline. If you think that they're trying to get some movement and they want to climb, busying them with something else. So whether it's, you know, blocks on the floor, a car or, you know, some activities that you get out and all of a sudden you sell that. So you want to, if they're not going to come down naturally and obviously if it's dangerous, we just want to grab the child if they're young enough to be grabbing down and just taking them off trying to keep it really positive not saying you know no no grub no jumping on the you know on the table or chairs or no jumping on the couch we just want to grab them we want them to move them to an activity that we think they might like and we want to try and engage with them now it might they might not gel to that straight away and it might be a few times where you have to just come back but it's that persistence of coming back trying to sell that 
and then maybe thinking about what are they trying to get? Are they a climber? Do they enjoy climbing? You know, are they a child that when you take them to the playground, they want to climb? That means that that's in them. They want to do that. So if you have the opportunity to take them outside and do some safe climbing, if you have a playground or take them to the playground for a break from, you know, some sort of movement. So it's about redirecting them into that, but trying not to react verbally and yeah. even with your body and your face, you know, so just keeping it calm. I know that's harder said than done, um, <laughs> but you know, particularly for young children, any reaction is a reaction of like, they're going to chase me. They're going to, you know, climb. So if I'm not giving them anything, even if I'm taking them down, I'm not giving them anything with my body or my language. Um, I'm just taking them and saying, Oh, look at these cars on the floor. Let's play with the, the trucks or, you know, and you can invite your partner. If you've, there's someone else there, another child or another you know, family member, the two of you, I did this with my son when he was about two, he was constantly climbing up on the back of the couch, wanting us to react. And I said to my husband, you know, let's just play with his fire trucks on the floor. And so we went really, really crazy over the top, silly fire trucks. We felt a little bit silly, but he was just like, what, what are they doing with my toys? And he actually came down by himself. And then that gave us the opportunity to play with him and praise him for, for coming down. But we didn't mention, oh, great coming down off the couch. Yeah. We just said, oh, great playing on the floor. I love how you're playing on the toys. So we just reiterate the behavior that they're doing. So even praising the behavior yes, that they've come the away for is still yeah. attending to that behavior. So that's a, a good point to remember too. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one here, I hear quite a bit. So, um, we did get a specific question about throwing food, um, yep. or the, you know, plates when they're, um, someone's done with their meal. Yep. So it's actually quite a common, um, behavior like here that when, um, child is done with a toy or, you know, uh, with food or a drink or a, anything when they're done, it's kind of thrown, it's not put down, put down gently or yep. it's kind of, well, I'm done with that and it's over the head and goodbye. Yeah. So, yeah, and that that is a common one, um, particularly younger children. But if it's not, you know, kind of redirected, it can continue. Um, a few things here that I would put in place. So I put in, I would put in a finish box or tub. So you know, if you if your child is able to walk to the sink, or uh, you want a place where you can put something that's finished. So um, typically at, at within a school. So when I'm working in a school, we have tubs, um, and they can just be like the IKEA tubs or a Kmart tub, like a plastic clear tub. Sometimes we we stick a picture on the front that has the word finished or like the checkered flag, you know, off the racing cars finish. Um, it's a quite a universal sign. If your child is at a special school, if they've been, they will know that sign. Um, and, and signing, oh, we finished with that and getting them to put it away. Kids actually really love putting things into something. So if it's a tub, they have to open up the tub to put in their finished cups or bowl or whatever. Or if they're not really participating in that, it's just putting it in. We're finished with this and trying to get it before it gets thrown. So trying to think ahead of, okay, I know generally towards the end of them eating that they're going to throw it. I want to say, are you finished? Give them the opportunity to pack it away and, and tell them that it's finished um, and kind of really shaping that. This is what we do at the end. And really it's reteaching at the end of, you know, we have to teach actually, what do we do at the end of a meal? We, we put the, the item in the finished tub and that can be toys you know if toys are finished and they're starting to get thrown and we're not doing that you know we might just say oh we've finished playing with the toys and I'd say it like that I wouldn't say oh have you finished playing with your toys because you're throwing them because then I'm reacting it and I can just simply note if I can see that a child's throwing their toys it is maybe an indication that they are finished and they don't necessarily have the communication to tell you mm. I'm done with this like here I'm done I'm throwing it at the wall stop giving it to me so sometimes that can actually be a communication strategy that you yeah. can say oh and it's just a simple comment where as a parent I can then model what that is for you oh you've finished and a really good one to have is this keyword sign so I'm um the sign for finish is and you can look this up I'm sure is just putting your thumb up like you're giving a thumbs up and you wiggle it side to side it's a really really nice one and it's a really concrete one for for children to say and particularly if your child doesn't have much language it's a nice one to teach because a lot of kids can do that you know to say they're finished with that and then you can pack it away and that can alleviate some of those throwing behaviors i think it's a good point uh, introducing those visuals like a keyword mm. sign or a picture as an added form of communication because you know how do you teach finished like it's an abstract concept so it's kind of making it a little bit more 
concrete. And particularly, you know, visuals and I think are always a must for kids. We all use visuals and I think if you can introduce visuals and it can just be a few simple visuals, it doesn't have to be anything too grand. You don't have to have all these whiz-bang programs. You can just use Google Images and find, you know, a picture of a finished flag. You can just find a picture of a cup or take photos of your children's own things. If you want to create some visuals, you can use what they have. So you can use the picture of their drink bottle for them to tell you that, you know, I want to drink. So if you haven't caught the throwing behaviour in time and the toy is thrown, for example, what do you do? Do you pick the toy up and put it in? Do you model the behaviour? What would you do if it's already happened and you need to get to the finish box? So sometimes I might just pretend it hasn't happened, but go and grab the item and put it on the table and say, oh, we're finished with this and then just help them to model. So not reacting to the actual throwing, not saying, oh, go on, but pick it up and whatever. If it's something that's quite messy, and again, that comes back to what I was talking about before about the cleaning up, in that moment, you might just go, right, I'm just going to leave that rice on the floor for a little bit. I'm going to pick the bowl up and I'm going to say, oh, we're finished. Now, sometimes if you've got a younger child and they're not going to persist I'm not going to force them to grab the bowl and hand over hand you know have a big fight for them to put it in the finish box it might just that I model oh the bowl's finished and I put it in front of them in the finished tub and then just like not even make a big fuss about it like oh we finished with the bowl this is where I've put it if we put it there and because then what you can do if you can enter into a battle of I put the bowl there you need to put it in the finish yes. box and all of a sudden we keep throwing the bowl so now it's becoming a game and now we're in this battle so sometimes you've got to pick and choose your battles and if you can kind of gauge that your child's literally going to throw it again then I might model that a few times you might do that for a week if every time they throw it if I don't catch it I'm going to put it in but then I'm going to start to to build in those positive things is trying to preempt before that happens so that I can teach them the tool of putting it in before it gets thrown okay now we just wanted to touch on the subject of food and eating Mm -hmm. which can be a particularly stressful situation Mm -hmm. for a lot of families Mm -hmm. So some of the questions that we got in was around in order to encourage their child to eat healthy foods, they are following up each mouthful with a biscuit or a chip or a sweet little treat. So it's almost like, well, you know, if you you have a mouthful of this, then you get to have a mouthful of that. A reward. A reward. This parent is just concerned about, well, when does that end? When does that stop? Yes. And, you know, I think definitely having some children, you know, having a reward at the end and we sometimes have to have, you know, those incentive rewards. So incentive rewards are things like physical things like, you know, chocolates and chips or, you know, lollies and things like that. Um, As a rule of thumb in positive behaviour support, we try to wean them out. But for some kids to get that motivation for things, we do need to start with it. That sometimes the positive praise isn't enough and we have to start with something positive. So you're already doing that. So that's great. What we then want to do is we want to wean off the need for it so you've already started to build up those positives so we want to over accentuate the positive reinforcement when they have the mouthful and what you now want to do is try and stretch it out so even for a week and this can be over a course of a month this could be two mouthfuls and you get your chocolate and then we increase it to three mouthfuls and oh you know we got it there so first mouthful and even if you have a little visual so first mouthful and you keep adding so one two three and then you have it so you know a third mouthful because particularly if it's something they really want they're going to want it so they're going to have that second and the third mouthful and eventually the idea is that that reward becomes you stretch it out that a whole meal gets eaten before they get that reward. And that considers a, like a, you know, a little um, treat at the ends that you, they can have that. The idea is that eventually, hopefully they can eat their meal and then that treat becomes an occasional thing where I give you that as a, well done, you know, you ate your meal, but you didn't necessarily know it was coming. And that's the best kind of reward. If you are going to give your child physical rewards, like things like stickers and food, that's okay. But it needs to be that they're not just doing something for you because quite often kids will do it and then will get their reward and then play up directly after. So the reward can come from you as a genuine, oh, you did such great walking at the shops today, but they didn't know it was coming. So it's actually a bit more um, reinforcing for them. Um, It's about, you know, creating positive associations. So the more that you can positively praise each mouthful, you know, enjoy it with them. Kind of leading on from there, another tricky thing that can happen around mealtimes is just refusing 
uh, and balancing out the not eating a range of foods, having a child that only eats toast, and then when do you take that away? When do you offer something else? What usually happens a, a lot of the time, I you know when I speak to parents is um, they're so concerned about their child not eating that they will just give in and give them you know yes. the, the plain toast or the plain pasta or whatever it is. And then you have the parents still worrying that this child is not receiving enough nutrients, enough nutrients yeah. and not learning, I guess, good habits around eating. So how do you balance that between <sighs> feeding your child yes. and that wanting and offering and you know, re-offering and all that kind of So I think coming back to having a visual is really important. The best kind of visual, and particularly for mealtime, is a first and then. Um, and that can be, so if your child really likes will only eat toast or only have those things it's we want to offer that but we want to offer it at the end so we want to give them some food that they can eat first that they know that they have to eat first dinner and then toast so we get some dinner now start small again like the last um when i was talking just about before you know we can't expect them to if we're going from, you can't go from zero to a hundred in one day. Um, and that's when you're going to have massive battles. If you try and get them, force them to eat a whole meal before they can get their toast. So what we want to do is we still want to have those positive incentives and rewards. So you might be giving them a small bowl and expecting them. You know, sometimes I give my, I've got a child who eats everything and a child who's very fussy um, and they come from the same household and we did the same thing with both of them. And they're just two different children. And, you know, sometimes realizing my son doesn't like salad. He's never going to probably really be a salad kid. He has a few select salad items, but I generally just make some veggies that I know he'll eat. I try not to make it too much of a bigger deal, but he knows there's an expectation. He has to eat two veggies and the dinner and just giving an expectation. So whether it's you have a small plate there and then you say three mouthfuls of this and then you can have a piece of toast. The same kind of deal as the last one. Yeah. You're following it up with something that's positive, but you're still the expectation that they can have, you know, their the food that everyone else is eating. And I think, I suppose the key is when they do have that mouthful, it's got to be like they've just completed a marathon. It's, yeah, yeah. wow, that's, and name the behaviour that they're doing that is positive. And that's probably the key to all that. Yeah. When our kids hear good girl, good boy, they don't really know exactly what, what we're happy with. So yeah. really be specific with the praise. So oh, great having a mouthful of your food, you know, yum, yeah. model it too. They really nice. You're yeah. sitting yeah. Yep. And yep. model it. If you're eating as a family, you know, all model it, praise each other at the table. So model eating as well. I think there's some, a lot of families that, you know, kids eat different times and you, you might move around the house, try and have a specific time where you all eat together where possible. I know that's not always possible with busy routines, but if a child try and have a spot where your child always eats at the table, particularly kids like that consistency of sitting at the same place at the table, they see you eating and you, that's really important for them to see that you do eat these things as well. It's not just them. And I think sometimes kids think we just give them the veggies and, yep. you know, we need to model eating them as well. Yeah. And you've brought up um, a point that leads to another question that came in about yep. you know, a child not coming to the table. So the child is continuing to play, might be outside, might be in a bath and they're being fed in those situations. What is the process of actually bringing that back and sitting at the table and having that, you know, meal time or family time, or whatever, however you set it up for your household? Yep. So again, it comes back to building those positive associations around meal times and table time and eating at the table. So if there's a particular highly pre preference toy or activity that child likes doing, I'd actually bring that to the table. So instead of going to the Including child, iPads? so it depends. Again, yeah. yes. At yep. the start, I would say if that's the only way your child is going to sit at the table, but I'd put a limit on it and I would um, minimise it. Look, if your child is going to sit at the table and eat their whole meal watching something on an iPad, is that the worst thing in the world right now? If your child is getting a meal, I think if that is working for you, what you could do is put a limit. So you could say five minutes of iPad time and get a visual that has a countdown or a, you know, a sand timer. So that's five minutes. Again, we don't want to get into a massive battle. So if you can mm. see that your child is not going to want to finish the iPad, um, it might be that you try and think of another activity that's going to keep them at the table. So another toy or task. The key is that we're trying to, to make positive dinner time positive. So yep. it's really important that we don't, try and build too much into it 
and have battles. And when we start to have battles with kids, you know, particularly around eating time and it doesn't become positive, they can then start to resent wanting to even be at the table. So we really need to kind of keep that as positive and flowing. So if it means that they have to have something that's highly preferred there, generally you could have it at a safe spot, but mealtime has you know, you need to make sure that they're sitting there and eating. Um, and again, you're using a visual to show them that it's time for mealtime. So you might just have a picture of your kitchen table or a table picture and you could say it's time for dinner. Because if I show a child a picture of food and particularly if you've been moving around the house, they can be like, yeah, I can eat wherever. But if I show a picture of the table and chairs and say it's time to sit at the table yeah. for dinner that, and then try and keep that really structured and routine. So let them know time for dinner time to sit at the table I might encourage them to come and sit at the table trying to do that as positive so play a game you know tickle them chase them to the table make it fun put something highly preferred on the table that they can play with that they can have um, whilst they're eating and I think being prepared so which again is hard because I know if you're running after a child but having something to go so if you do need to prep things ahead of time so it's ready to go because waiting time is hard for kids yeah. particularly if this you know and and that's where it could happen you sit a child at the table you turn around to get the meal off they're the gone. kitchen table <laughs> and they've run off you know so trying to have a system that works best for you that you can put that meal on the table and you can start the positive oh you know we're eating at the table and we're you know built trying to build up that um you know yeah yeah i guess what i'm hearing it's a bit of a consistent theme in terms of being, um, I was going to say consistent, consistent <laughs> thing of being consistent. So, yes, you know, it, yes. it is kind of looking at that behaviour that you're finding challenging and going, well, what am I going to do about that? We're going to do this every time. This is how we're going to tackle it. I'm going to be ready. So there's kind of some organisation around that is what I'm hearing. Yes. But also remembering that shaping behaviour isn't something that happens overnight and it does take a little bit of time. And, you know, we don't want to try and expect too much of them too quickly so that we then enter into battles with them and by battles I mean you know that power struggle battle where they're like no I'm not having a bite I'm not, I'm not it's not happening I'm not doing it and all of a sudden I'm sitting there for two hours for you to get it you know so we have to try and think about how we're approaching this and and it might be some nights that you go you know what this isn't working tonight and that's okay you know let's try it again tomorrow trying to keep the positive vibe there and trying as much as possible to um, focus on what we want them to do and really communicating with them what we are doing and and any chance that your child is your child's capable particularly around meal times if you can get your child to help set up the table or be involved you know a lot of kids love to be involved with things particularly if, if it's even if it's being involved with the cooking so it might just be that they get to do some stirring or they get to they're more likely to eat food that they've helped to prepare now I know that's harder said than done and I I love my children when they want to cook but sometimes (laughs) I'm like oh the mess so you know every now and again you know giving them the opportunity to have some small role in that can can really help them to feel part of that Um, and also it gives them the cue and the actual visual cue that dinner is almost ready or I'm about to eat because I'm I'm involved in this and I know that's coming then. And so I'm, I'm already preparing in my brain that I will have to sit at the table. I worked with a family the other day and I, I had this point and I think it's really good to, to mention is majority of our kids and particularly if your child is nonverbal or has limited communication or understanding, you know, we look at our watches all the time to know where we are in our day. A lot of our kids float through their day and have no idea where they are within their day. Their tummy might grumble a bit. They might get a bit hangry at mealtimes where they're a bit hungry and angry. But if I'm not physically letting them know what's happening, they don't necessarily know that it's morning tea or lunch. They're just feeling a bit irritable. And that might be behaviour that I see because... You know, I don't have a schedule up or I'm not communicating what it's time for. So, you know, just expecting a child to come and sit at the table if I haven't told them where they are in their day that it's time for lunch. You know, explicitly state what it's time for. It's time to get in the car. It's time for school. And the more that you can have visuals and have even a little schedule that and use that it can really help your child to understand where they are in their day and that alleviates a lot of the stress and anxiety around not know, knowing what's happening yeah, and when it's happening that's a really good point because we know in schools um you know we use transitions yeah you know that lead up to transitions yeah all the time but you know sometimes when we're at home 
we kind of expect the kids to do, I guess, do what we say. And that yeah, but we done. haven't transitioned. We them. haven't transitioned them in. So, you know, yeah. I think it's really taking that kind of. There's yeah. no bell that goes yeah, at dinner yeah, time yeah. unless you have a bell. And, you know, hey, if that's, you know, our kids hear the bell and they know that it's time to go outside and play or yeah. they hear the bell, they know it signifies something. So making sure that you have the opportunity to signify them, give them a five minute warning that it's almost time for dinner time. You're yeah. going to have to finish on the iPad, you know, pack the item away, finish on the iPad, put it in its safe tub or spot, yeah. put it away somewhere safe walk with them to the table, sit them at the table. It's time for dinner time, you know, give them a task to do if they need to be busied at the table while you're preparing or getting, you know, or, or let them have something positive, you know, yeah. at the table um, if they need. Yeah, that's some really good points there. And just something that's worked for us <laughs> a bit of, um, uh, in terms of the mess and that kind yes. of situation is that you don't necessarily have to have the whole food preparing. So something that's worked well for us is a bowl, with some material in it and a spoon. So it's just yes. it's just joining role in, playing. it's role playing. Yes. We're all doing the same kind of thing. So we managed to avoid the mess, but still participating within yes. what we're actually doing. So yeah. And that's, that's such a, a big part, tip. play food. You yeah. know, it's all yeah. in. Kmart yeah. has a wide variety of play food. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, definitely role playing, allowing them to, to, to do that is really great. Yeah. The question I really wanted to get to, thought was really interesting, was about compliance versus obedience. The example, just to kind of put into a bit of perspective is, you know, we often find ourselves in the situation that in order to encourage our kids to perform a task or to participate in activity, that we might be playing chasey or singing songs or making this a bit of a party atmosphere and then my child will comply or are they really not doing as I'm requesting and I'm kind of just coaxing them into it? And where does that balance lie? How long do you do that for? Is that something that then if I start with a young child, am I going to be having to do that endlessly? This is actually a really great question. I think there's some really great things that are already happening here. You know, it is something that we do need to, as I mentioned earlier, oversell a lot of what we're doing. Our kids need a lot more positive reinforcement. They need a lot more positive engagement to be able to complete a task. So if you are have a younger child and you are doing the chase me games or you're trying to encourage them to participate, that is important. The idea is that as they get a little bit older and more willing to build you know understand what's going on in that situation that they then start to learn oh you know that's fun and I enjoy that I think probably one of the things that we need to remember is we want to create positive associations and I use that word we want to create positive associations around activities that they're doing uh, what we don't want to do is come into power struggles where they're running away from me during that time and I'm chasing them then so we need to kind of set up a task where I might grab their hands and if I'm playing a chase me it might be with them so I grab them and go oh who can run the fastest let's go you know so I'm doing it with them rather than chasing after them you know if that's the game so if you're finding that chase me game I think making sure that you're with that child making sure that you have that positive association when a child develops a knowledge that this task is fun and engaging then I have some ability to build that compliance in now the best time to start to build compliance I need to build connection even with my own children I need them to understand that we have fun and we engage and we do things with them but when I'm asking them to respond to me the best time to teach a child to comply and that can be as simple as looking at mummy looking at you know dad look at me come to me is when they're having lots of fun so pick a time where they're in their best best mood they're having so much fun and it can be in an activity and you could be playing with them and just stop and say, hey, look at me, <gasps> great work, or come to mummy, show me. So you build the compliance in to the fun tasks because what happens is the more that you build compliance into the fun tasks, when you have to then ask them to come to you, outside of that, you know, because it's dinner time, they're more likely to listen. So if I need to redirect my child because it's time for dinner, I need to say, hey, look at mummy. If I've done it through all the fun times and the fun game we're playing dolls or Barbies or whatever, then I'm more likely to get them to listen to me when I need them to really listen to me. Yeah, on the flip side of that, mm -hmm. what if you pulled out all your bag of tricks and you make activity time, brushing your teeth fun or getting dressed, hilarious, 
but we still get the, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm not going to participate in any of those requests. Yes. So I suppose you have to question how often that's happening. If it's a once-off, you know, it could just be that a child's just really not in there. Maybe giving them some time. I would say give a little bit of time, let them just be, and then come back to it and try again. Think about maybe have a look in a bit more deeper is why aren't they gauging, you know, if it's with, say, for example, a therapist has come in and they're not wanting to participate in an activity. I think that, you know, is a common theme is that my child won't listen to someone who they're working with or, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where they need to develop that, um, I suppose, they have to have that connection with that therapist. They need to feel comfortable. So, you know, any chance I can get to um, let the child know what's happening before, ahead of time, let them know who's coming where possible. You know, if you've got a new therapist coming on board, I'd always request if they're okay for a photo prior to them arriving. So you can talk to your child about this person that is going to work with you, Um, particularly if you're going to a new place, you know, social stories and things like that to introduce introduce new topics to kids I think if they're not doing it and they're flat out refusing we need to then look at why aren't they like what's really bugging them or when they do get dressed how does that happen is it a fight battle where we're having you know a a battle and even if I do have to dress my child or brush their teeth I need to then praise them at the end so I'm not I'm going to try and keep that as if I need to just do it for you because we've done all the tricks and games and and it's you're not doing it by yourself I might say, okay, well, I'm going to help you to do it. And that's a, a real, it's okay for you to do that. What we then do is we don't do it like, right, I'm helping you to do this, pinning you down. And, yeah. and it's quite negative. You still need to keep that really, okay, mummy's going to help you do this right now. I'll help brush your teeth. Now, even if that's a little bit of resistance, I want to keep myself as calm as possible. Get the job done, whatever you need to do, and then praise the end product. Oh, Wow. And even if you use, you brushed your teeth, well done, I'm so proud of you, let's have a cuddle, let's forget all of that, because that's what we want. We want to sell that actually brushing your teeth isn't so bad, it's positive at the end, we got a cuddle with mum, and we haven't reacted to any of the, you know, so if we've tried to get them there, they haven't gone there, we just help them anyway, we praise what they've done. And I praise it like they've done it. Even if I have coactively or physically helped them to brush their teeth, brush their hair, put their jumper on, I praise it like they have done it. It's like, oh, well, I've put up this fight, but you haven't really, you haven't really met me on this fight. You've just praised me because, oh, right, I, had, I do have my jumper on now. Great. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and again, that's coming back to the only reacting to the positive and creating options where where we can praise them for doing the right thing, even if we've had to help them. I just wanted to finish up on a couple of questions because it's a persistent theme I hear all the time. So it might be a good place to kind of round up. Mm -hmm. And that's the old flop and drop. I'm sure when I say that everyone has that image, you're probably walking through a car park, it's probably school pickup, there's a million people around you and your child refuses to walk anymore and won't go into school and they're on the floor and that's it. And yep. they're not moving. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, I've, I've, I've been there plenty of times. This is a common one because there's a bit of power play in dropping. And particularly the one where if I if you try and help me up, either I'll pull my legs up, tucked up like little wings under my body. And, you know, so one of the things that we want to do is try to first think about uh, preparing them for where they're going. So think about where your child is persistently stopping and dropping and is there a theme there so you know when I track behavior and look at behavior with kids I we can look at particular times is it a a transition time that they are really not understanding what's happening you know is it every time we get out of the car at school walking to the school gate is it every time that you know um, I'm walking them to the bus that they're dropping is is it persistent time where they're doing that are they communicating something to you like, I don't really like this, I'm not doing this, I'm tired? You know, is there a reason thinking about what they could be seeking out of it? We want to try and keep it as positive again as possible. So no yelling or negative, even if you're stressed. You know, I know it's hard, particularly if you're waiting for, you know, the bus is waiting for you. And I know there are times... Especially in public and like... In public and you're feeling, do you know what? Don't worry. Who cares? You never, if you're out in the middle of the shopping centre, you know what? It's more important that you give your time, your time to your child than 
worry about what other people are thinking about you. I know that's really hard instead of done. I've had my child throw a massive wobbly in the middle of the shopping center and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this, you know what? We've all been there. We all know what it's like when your child isn't complying. It's part of being a child. There are just times where it's not going to work and they're not going to pick and choose the best time. They're not going to choose a time when no one's around because that they're probably going to choose a time when it's busiest because that may be something that's really overwhelming for them. Mm. Keep it positive. Where possible, just wait them out a little bit. You might bring something out that's positive for them. Again, trying to think about something they like. So, you know, it might be that you just put on a song that they like on YouTube on your phone. Yeah. try and get them to keep walking it might be that you know if you've got a bubbles kid or something you know typically we get try and get some things out that are going to be positively engaging that child and I keep trying to re-engage my child to stand up I'm using my hand underneath their armpit as opposed to grabbing the end of their hand and yanking them up and if I need to I might stand behind them if you've got a bit of a cuddly child it might just be put both hands under their armpits give them a little moment you know it's almost like there's no rush here but we're going to just try it and just keep trying to stand them up standing up um, where possible if you've got maybe a visual of standing up um, or prior to that a visual of walking with me and positively praising the walking with me so if they're walking somewhere great walking with mummy showing them a little picture of a person walking great we're walking we're walking to school tell them what they're doing oh, I can see your teacher wave to your teacher walking if you know there's a particular point where they drop trying to redirect them so that they can you know see what's happening see what's redirect them away from thinking about Yep. dropping um so trying to keep it as positive as possible and just keep the eye on the end of the runway you know yep. that's what we want to do um particularly if there's a time and, and giving them that that little bit of time to just be before yep. we try and get them up again praise the walking and then praise the standing up so we do either side the walking and the standing so you know if i'm like standing up and i'm just gonna say we're just standing up now yep. can't wait to see you standing up and when if they do praising that you know, it's got to be celebrate. Oh, great. Standing up. Let's go. We're walking. And generally as a rule of thumb, if you get them going, keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, if you get them up and they start moving, sometimes this is, might be the opportunity where we do run together. Let's run. Cause yeah. you know that it's harder to actually drop on the run um, because they actually are pretty clever and you know, children won't put themselves in a serious position of some, some kids will, but if you try and get them going, they're less likely to drop because it's harder to drop when you're kind of on the go and running. There are definitely means of getting children up and sometimes it just is giving them that little bit of space, that little bit of time to calm yeah. down, giving them some calming activities and retrying again to stand them up. The last question we might end up with, Linda, is, is when yeah. sen sensory issues meet behavioural issues. So something like if kids are perhaps grunting, in frustration, spitting, if a kid, yeah. child is spitting, but that's also kind of connected to a sensory issue. How do you kind of work with both? Yeah. So I suppose probably the key is if you've got a child and you know some of their sensory needs, is trying to engage in that as much as possible. If you're still seeing inappropriate behaviours around that, like spitting, but I've given my child lots of blowing things like bubbles with a straw. I've done lots of chewy tubes. I've got lots of, you know, I might have them a drink bottle that's got quite a nice like sucky straw on it. I've done all these things and I'm like, you know, I can't do anything more. Then you're probably looking at a behavior rather than a sensory seeking. And sometimes, you know, that it's something that has been reacted to. So if I've spat, you, you know, react, oh, don't spit we're not spitting stop doing that and all of a sudden I'm like okay well it's my favorite thing I get to watch spit flying out of my mouth because I love the audit you know they're seeing it I love making the mouth you know my mouth that pursing my lips together and pushing that out because that's really fun and I enjoy that and then someone's reacted to me woohoo I've got three things that I'm enjoying yeah. so what we then need to do is ignore it but redirect them back to something that they can do instead so if you are doing some of those sensory things you might give them a straw and say let's blow some bubbles um, but it's really important that we're not reacting to that we need to reshape the behavior to what's appropriate and, and again anytime you've got a behavior think about what could this child be doing instead that would be more appropriate so if a child is trying to get your attention but they're doing that in in an appropriate way they might be grabbing you know pulling in your clothes think about turning them and saying oh what do you want so reshaping the behavior in terms of things like vocalizations and grunting and things like that 
sometimes it's an auditory thing they actually enjoy hearing themselves give them time where they can do that so you know a typical one I quite often get is if a child screams a lot or likes to high pitch vocalize um, and particularly a lot of children with ASD do that but it is common in a lot of children you know um, grunting and making noises give them time to engage in it whether it's a song that allows them to yell or be loud and, and do that then allow them to do that if it's something that they're just doing out of like frustration, it's just a frustration thing. And I wouldn't necessarily react to it or be worried too much. If it's happening, it's again, just focusing on the positives either side. So what they're doing before, positively praising them and ramping. If, if the only thing you change is in your working with a child is ramping and upping the amount of times you positively praise your child and catch your child doing all of the things that we know they can do and they do well we just miss them and we don't praise them enough so I think you know building on that is really important and I think that's a really good point to kind of end up in sometimes in our busy days we can miss the positives in the day-to-day and you know things are swimmingly you can get through things things are flying everything's feeling good but we don't stop to say well this is why <laughs> that's yeah. happening because, you know. Because well, they're um, quiet and they're, yeah, they're yeah. playing or they're doing something. So, yeah, you know, yeah. we don't want to disturb that, but we also want to validate that too. Correct. Yeah. And generally when some children get reacted to, it's because they've exhibited a behaviour that we didn't like and so yeah. we have to then address it. But if I, can, right. if I can up the times that I'm positively praising them for the good things and having that moment with your child where you stop, Looking at me is a really lovely one, particularly yes. if they're doing really well. Hey, look at mummy. <gasps> well done. Good job. You know, if you're a younger child, if you're an older child, you'd say, oh, great job, buddy. You know, keep it age appropriate. They don't need to be patronised as young children yeah. or older children, but say, hey, mate, that's awesome. High five. Or, oh, you're doing so great. You know, through to younger children, obviously that high affect, positive praise, you know, it just works a treat. Kids just want to be happy and they love when we're happy with them and they want to be part of us. And I think if we can do that with them, any child, you know, that's all they really want from us is that connection. And if we give that to them all of the other times, negative seeking or attention seeking things, connection seeking things that they will do less of because they're getting it from us across the day. And I think, you know, um, after an hour of chatting about behaviour stuff, it kind of comes to that point that that's a really easy thing to implement. Like I think that could be one of the tricky things about behaviour support is, oh, you know, how am I going to do this? Going back to where we started about overthinking. Like if we kind of just go, you know, today I'm going to try and catch and reward positive behaviour this many times. Yes. You know what I mean? That's, yes. That kind of sounds like something, oh, I think I can do that. Yeah, so, oh, it's so, yeah. And, and it's actually recognising and sit down with your child, you know, sit with them for a couple of minutes and play with them and, you know, have that positive connection with them because it does go a long way and it helps you feel good too. Yeah. And it's a really nice thing for you coming out of your day. If you're giving more positives, you're going to be feeling better about yourself working with your child. You're going to be more positive as well and not coming to the end of the day thinking all I've done is yell or yeah. fight or battle just celebrate what you are doing well already and what your child already does do. That is good. And I think that's, that's the key. If you start there, you can, it can only go up from there. Thank you so much, Linda. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Yes, they can send me an email. I'm sure you can share my details. It's uh, belinda.web at the resourcekit.com.au or my website which is the www.theresourcekit.com.au send me any messages or if you've got a question that you just like answer I'm happy to answer any of your questions just over an email or you know might want to set up a phone chat to talk about a particular thing that's happening with your child just have confidence in yourself because that's the key you know parenting is hard all around but parenting a child with down syndrome or, or a disability you know you've just got to keep at it and try your best and and do your best and i'm sure you're all doing amazing so just you know have confidence in your own ability too for more information about down syndrome victoria visit downsyndrome.org.au slash vic